Good morning, church. It is a joy to be with you all this morning. We're continuing our sermon series called Faithful to the Finish. We are in 2 Peter. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Peter. We're in the third chapter of 2 Peter. We're going to be starting in verse 1. And as we get into this text, I want to read to you... uh, I really believe that in our churches across the United States of America, we as a religion have lost sight of the reality of the wrath of God. I believe across across Christian denominations in our American culture, we have lost sight of the wrath of God. When we get away from the reality of God's judgment and the literal fury of God's wrath, anything goes, doctrines can get propagated in our culture. We get a hands-off attitude toward adequately dealing with sin in our culture. And we just kind of get in our own box, our own bubble, and start minding our own business in our Christian lives as though the sin and behaviors of others doesn't influence us and our children or the church. As you're turning in your Bibles to Second Peter chapter 3, I want to read to you Revelation verse 19, chapter 19 and verse 15. Revelation 19.15, the Bible says this, Coming out of his mouth, the hymn here is the Lord Jesus Christ. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. God's wrath, church, is truly going to be furious. This iron scepter that the Lord Jesus Christ rules with is certainly not a feather of encouragement, remorse, or pity. The iron scepter demonstrates that there is coming a day when God's remorse and pity comes to an end. And God's justice delivers what justice demands based on the behavior of lives of individuals who are under the judgment of a just, righteous, and wrathful God. Reminder of the words of Jonathan Edwards. I want you to pay attention to this before we get into our lesson today. Jonathan Edwards, a preacher and theologian, says this. The bow of God's wrath is bent. And the arrow made ready on the string. And justice bends the arrow at your heart. And strains the bow. And it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God and that of an angry God without any promise or obligation at all that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood. Now this is a graphic quote that should serve to reinstill a little bit of a healthy fear of the judgment and wrath of God on the lives of sinners when they come into judgment. And when God's judgment and His wrath is far from our minds, again, we can do any behavior and think any thought and interpret anything into Scripture because God's just a God of love, a gigantic teddy bear in the sky who's just ready to cuddle and love everyone He can get His hands on. And that's not the truth of Scripture, and that's not the doctrine Peter intends for his audience to understand based on the nature of the discussion we're going to have today. God, forgive us in the United States of America, we who have neglected to pay heed to the wrath of God as a result of the sin in our lives. Second Peter, starting in chapter 3 and verse 1, let's get to our text right now. 
The Bible says this. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written them both as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to keyword here, recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Here's a couple of important things about this text specifically. Peter identifies the purpose for his writing. He wants to call to mind the teaching of the prophets and the command given to the Lord received unto his audience by the apostles. Because the reality is there is a group of people that are trying to lead the church, which is Peter's audience, away from the truths of God into sexual immorality. What we talked about last week is that these sexually immoral teachers are trying to lure God's people away from truth because misery really does love company. And to the degree I can convince new converts or Christians to follow after the sexually immoral way, I feel less conviction as a result of my sexual immorality. Peter says, I didn't have to come at you just one time with this truth. I had to come at you twice This is the second occasion I have written to you to try and stimulate you to wholesome thinking so you can recall the words of the prophets and the apostles. Wholesome thinking here in the first three verses of 2 Peter chapter 3 is contrasted with the unwholesome thinking and doctrine and teachings of the false teachers, which specifically are sexually immoral teaching and practices. He says, I've had to write to you again. You guys aren't getting it. I want you to recall the reality of the teaching of both the prophets and of the apostles. What is it that he wants the prophets to clearly identify for his audience, given the context? He wants his audience to understand the judgment foretold by the prophets of God through the history of the Israelite kingdom. I want to turn your mind to a couple of scriptures. Write down Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 15. The prophet Isaiah says, Behold, the Lord will come with fire and with chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebukes with flames of fire. No doubt Peter intends for his audience to recall that the day of judgment is coming not on clouds of fluff, welcoming people despite behavior into the kingdom of God. But that God in His righteousness and with justice delivers wrath to sinners who are unregenerated and unrepentant that have consistently spit in the face of God and denied Him as Lord and lived as though He doesn't exist and immersed themselves into sinful behavior, specifically sexually immoral behavior. But Peter intends for us to take this a step further and to admonish Christians and rebuke Christians who are immersed into sinful activity. And specifically here, the context is sexual immorality. That the judgment of God will be like a furious whirlwind of fire delivered unto those who claim Christ with their mouth, but live out the opposite of Christianity in their lives day to day. God forbid that any of us would be so bold as to live that kind of lifestyle. And in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 8 and verse 18, please write that down. The Bible says, therefore, also, I will deal in fury. My eye shall not spare. Listen to this. Neither will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, 
yet will I not hear them. Friend, brother, sister, there is coming a day when God will execute His wrath without pity. Dear God, save any of us from living in such a way as to evoke that wrath in a day when your grace and mercy are beyond our reach. Joel chapter 3 and verse 12 says, There is coming a day when the nations will be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. The scoffers and false teachers of Peter's day neglected to remember the reality of the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter intends for his audience to recall that the judgment of God will be just and filled with wrath for those who don't fall under the forgiving and atoning blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he intends for you to understand the exact same principle. If there is sin in your life, if you are flirting with immorality or any sinful behavior, that judgment will be swift and wrath will be furious and fiery for those of us who have elected not to fall in line with the teachings of the apostles. And what are the apostolic teaching? We don't have time to go into all of them. Here are two of the most important. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Peter says this. Jesus is the stone that you builders have rejected, which has now become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by mankind, whereby men must be saved. The only way to God the Father is through Jesus Christ the Son. Jesus says that I am the way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by Him. And we see that command delivered through the apostolic teaching of Peter to the early church. False teachers always propagate ways of attaining righteousness outside lordship of Jesus Christ. And they market worldly pleasures and passions and behaviors as effectual avenues of attaining righteousness simply because they themselves are unwilling to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I don't care who says what in today's modern pop culture blogosphere about ways to heaven. If it isn't Jesus, you're not getting in. The other teaching I think is really important here is found in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 22. I think this essentially adequately sums up the apostolic teaching on sin and sinful behavior. In 1 Thessalonians 5.22, the Apostle Paul tells the church at Thessalonica to abstain from the very appearance of evil. Some of you under the sound of my voice might ask me a question. Trent, what exactly does it mean to adhere to the counsel of apostolic doctrine? What are the specific behaviors we need to avoid or engage in to try and live that out day to day and escape the wrath, the furious wrath of a just and angry God on the day of judgment for all those who have not entered and been immersed into the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, I'll tell you simply what that looks like is to flee and abstain from things that even have the appearance of evil. Can I get a witness this morning? To abstain and flee from things that even have the appearance of evil. So you translate that however you need to translate it. What do you need to be doing in your marriage? What do you need to be watching on television? How do you need to handle your children? What music do you need to listen to? Should you drink alcohol? Should you smoke cigarettes? You should flee. Now don't shout me down here. You're going to ruin my message, all right? 
You guys are too enthusiastic about my preaching against sin here. You should flee from even the appearance of evil. Your attitude should be one of total submission and surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. You should always have a kind word for your neighbor. What you watch, what you listen to, what you read, and how you, should, how you respond to people in your life should be without reproach. People should look at you and think automatically, man, this has got to be a son or daughter of the living God. That's why Christians have lost influence in a culture that, that, that tends towards depravity. Because we're, we're not abstaining from even the appearance of evil. It looks, we look like everybody else. And so when we start to teach and encourage and admonish people to, to resist the temptation to sin, all too often they look at our lives and they can't see a difference between the way they're living and the way we're living. And Peter's saying, you've got to remember the teaching of the apostles. Their counsel is to live distinctly different from the culture in which you live in, full of false teachers who would lure you away from the way of Jesus Christ towards sexually immoral, sin-sick behavior. Why is he, why is he so, why does he place so much value? Why would Peter place so much value on this doctrine and this teaching? Because Peter understands that the judgment and second coming of Christ is imminent. Let's see here in verse 3. Above all, you must understand. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They'll say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it had since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Peter wants his audience to realize two things. There will be scoffers and sinners that try to lead God's people astray. How, do you, how does Peter identify these scoffers? The first way he says is, they will be people that doubt his coming. These are individuals who are so consumed with the temporary world in which we live that anything that is not directly in front of them is out of their mind. This is the out of sight, out of mind approach to theology. These are the same types of people that absolutely propagate. If you can get it now, if it's easy to get and if it feels good in the moment, it's probably God's will. And Peter would say the exact opposite. Those things that are easy to get and cheap to attain that feel good in the moment are probably the most worthless, miserable experiences you could ever accumulate in life. And instead of moving towards those things, live the simply disciplined Christian life. A life of sacrifice as a living sacrifice, being obedient and beating your own self into submission day in and day out. These same scoffers deliberately forget the lordship of Jesus Christ. Importantly, this is not accidental. These people aren't really, really busy one day and accidentally forget that Jesus Christ is Lord and they should be living a righteous life. These are people who have tried Christianity and found it difficult and now decide to elevate themselves to the position of God in their life. Why does a human being do something like that? I think there are two reasons. The first is, if I've elevated myself to the position of God, then I'm now the judge of your behavior and mine. 
And it's way easier for me to rest my head on my pillow at night when I'm the victim and you've done me wrong and now anything I want to do is justifiable in my own eyes. And so many of us have such difficulty admitting our own faults and failures and coming to terms with the reality of our humanity and our need for a Savior whose Spirit can empower us to resist our urges of the flesh that we elevate ourselves to the position of God, judging everybody around us negatively and ourselves to our own advantage and thus are at friction with the world around us right in our own eyes and distant from our Creator God. I think the second piece of the reason why we would elevate ourselves to the position of God in our life, deliberately forgetting the Lordship of Jesus Christ, is to justify our own sin. If I'm God in my life, then I'm outside of the realm of judgment of a wrathful, angry God. And I might still attend church, and I might still listen to Christian music, but I don't have an adequate understanding that my sin demands just punishment. And outside of God's forgiveness, I will experience that punishment. These scoffers, then they dismiss their destruction. What do they say? Where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Friend, I want to ask you this morning, how many times have you told yourself something almost identical? I can go out this weekend. I'm sure I'll have plenty of opportunities to make up for it in the following week. I can look at this image, I can say this to my spouse, I can do this to my kids, I can watch this, I can listen to this, I can do this, I can be this, I can play this role. I'm certain I'll have more time. Or maybe you'd like to justify and pretend to your own self that you don't do that. And you just allow yourself to get so immersed into this world and the junk that's in here that that God is out of sight, out of mind, and you've allowed yourself to deliberately forget the imminence of His coming. But I do want to mention this. Some of you might say, yeah, well, Trent, I mean, at the time of Peter writing this letter, he's telling all these guys that that Jesus could potentially return, and, and he didn't. Well, that's why Peter uses the metaphor and illustration that he uses of the flood in the days of Noah. The flood in the days of Noah was not the second coming of God, but was it the judgment of God on the earth at that time as a result of the sin present in the earth? The answer to that is a resounding yes. God's judgment can occur before His coming does. Can I get an amen to that? And the sin in your life will. The sin in your life will lead to the judgment of God at some moment. Either before His return or during. These people decide they're just going to dismiss it. It didn't happen. And they're likely to fall under the same kinds of worldly, consequential judgment that the people in the days of Noah did. These are sinners, ultimately, who disregard truth. They've forgotten the truth of the the prophets. That God will be wrathful and evoke and implement His furious wrath without pity or remorse on those to whom judgment is, is due. But these are also individuals who have denied the truth and disregarded the truth of the apostles. Rather than abstaining from the appearance of evil, here's what they do. Excuse the appearance of evil. And some of you under the sound of my voice are doing just that. Some of you under the sound of my voice, rather than abstaining from the appearance of evil, are excusing the appearance of evil in your life. 
Some of you are even so bold as to say, this is a ministry deal, or this helps me connect with God, or I, I can do... That is a lie from the pits of hell itself. And God is angry, and His wrath will be furious at those who are making excuses that essentially spit in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of these individuals will have to deal with judgment. Write down Deuteronomy 32, 35. Moses is, is speaking through the Lord here in Deuteronomy 32, 35. And he, the Lord says this, It is mine to avenge. I will repay. In due time their foot will slip and their day of disaster is near and their doom rushes upon them. This is judgment before the judgment. Some of you are on a slippery slope. Some of you are toying around with sin in your life, making excuses, trying to fool yourself that whatever the activity is you're engaged in really isn't as sinful as the conviction in your heart tells you it is. And I'm and, and here's the thing about a slip. There are two pieces of, of a slip that are really important. Slips are sudden. Slips are sudden. I'm from Kansas. In the right time of the year, everything is basically covered in a sheet of ice. I could, if my life were a, a video, if there was a video clip of my life, I could go to like January or February about every year and find the highlight reel of the most painful slips I've ever had on ice in Kansas, none of which I planned. They were all sudden, usually when I'm carrying a drink or food and headed to a really important meeting. And they were all unexpected. And some of you who have been regenerated and immersed in the Lord Jesus Christ that have turned from a life of sin can look back on that life and think of times where you were on a slippery slope of sin and you experienced sudden and unexpected judgment or consequences for that sin. And the reality of the sudden unexpected judgment for the consequence of that sin is some of what keeps you on the straight and narrow. But some of you have kind of been like a rock skipping over a pond and haven't really gone down deep into the pit of despair and you're still flirting around with sinful activity and the conviction that is within you, if you are a Christian, you're dismissing and denying and making excuses for your behavior. If you're not regenerated, but you're here this morning, you know that there's something missing in your life and that there's more to life than the sin that you're involved in and you're wondering, why is it that I can't get what I'm looking for out of life in that sin? It's because you've been designed in the image of God, not intended for unrighteousness, but to be made through the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God in Him. Can I get a testimony this morning? Peter goes on to say in verse 8, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone. Say that with me. Everyone. One more time. Everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. 
That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in heat. But in keeping with His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. He wants to plant a memory in the minds of his audience. The Apostle Peter does. He wants to remind them first of the patience of the Lord God, of God's grace. Friend, this is the reason that those of you who are on a slippery slope haven't already ended up in destruction and misery. Because God's constantly bestowing grace on your life and He's constantly calling out to you, desiring for you to surrender to Him and to follow Him. He's keeping you up on that slippery slope trying to keep you from falling. At some moment, your consequence will be delivered if you do not yield to the grace of God that's being bestowed on you even now. And here's what else. That, that idea, this is, one, this is so beautiful. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. He's patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repent. And some of you under the sound of my voice would say, But Trent, you don't understand the magnitude of my sin and how long I've been juggling having a double life, keeping this area hid and the other area maintained, keeping up appearances. Trent, you don't understand how far away from God I really am and how much it would take to really reconcile with God through Jesus Christ and to totally surrender that sin-sick, miserable second life over to Him. I don't. But God does because He's seen it all. He's been through both lives with you. And that idea of not willing anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance, that applies to you. That applies to you. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done or what you think you're going to do in the future. Jesus came to redeem and save the sick and the lost. Those who need to be fixed and healed. That's what God's grace is about. For right now, friend, for right at this moment, and this is what's really hard for us as Christians, right now today there is grace and mercy to be had. From the Lord God through Jesus Christ the Son. On the day of judgment, there is zero pity, zero remorse, and no opportunity for grace or mercy. And so many of us live as though we've got an infinite amount of time before we slip and fall. And we can have a poor attitude or speak words of filth or even commit acts that are immoral or idolatrous in nature. All the while convincing ourselves that God's grace and God's mercy in our time is unlimited. And we can always surrender and commit tomorrow. Peter would say, please don't test the patience of God Almighty. Yes, his patience does seem to be infinite. But the prophets and apostles would remind us that judgment is imminent. Peter wants to bring our minds from the patience of the Lord and His grace to the pledge of the Lord, His return. John 14, verses 2 and 3. Jesus says this, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If that wasn't so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Maybe some of you are in that spot. 
where you really have fully surrendered to Jesus Christ and turned away from sinful activity and you found yourself in the middle of a Christian life that seems difficult and challenging and even confusing at times. These words spoken by our Lord Jesus Christ should encourage you in that place. Friends, He's at the right hand of God the Father. And He is making a dwelling place with your name on it. It's a place you're going to be able to call your own for all eternity. Your loved ones who have gone before you that, that, that were in Christ, they're going to be there. Peter and Paul and James and John, all of the Old Testament prophets and men and women who have died as a result of their faith, they'll all be there. And most importantly, when you walk through the gates of heaven, you'll, you'll have the opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus who's going to look at you and he's going to be aware of every single long night that you've had to live through. And he's going to remember every single dark valley that you had to walk through through and he's going to bring you close to him and he's going to put his hand on your shoulder and he's going to say well done you did it you made it through i was there i saw it all i know how difficult it was even when no one else knew i knew and now welcome home welcome home that's the promise of the lord is that we're going to get to live in his righteousness one day Wow, all of us who were sinners and sin-sick and drug-addicted and adulterous and idolatrous and everything else that the mind can make up, all of us, we get to live in righteousness with Jesus Christ forever. I want you to write down Revelation 21.4. You know what heaven's going to be like? It's going to be just like this. Jesus is going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there's not going to be any more death or mourning or crying. There's not going to be any more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Friends, you're living amongst the old order right now. And the expectation is that you live a disciplined, self-sacrificial, self-controlled life in obedience to the prophets and teaching of the apostles based on the command given to them through the Lord Jesus Christ. And every pain and hardship and season of drought you experience, Jesus is there. He's always with you. Even should you go to the ends of the earth, He'll even be there. And when you get to heaven, all the hardship and all the struggle and difficulty and strife and pain and crying and cancer and sin and all those things in life that are so difficult and tragic will all be gone. And the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ the Son will be ours. And we'll inherit a place in that blessed new Jerusalem. What's the apostle's advice? I think he wants you to remember two things to take home from this. Man, I feel so strongly about the reality of the fury of God's wrath and how we have lost sight of that reality. And that's excused almost any doctrine and any teaching and any behavior your mind can conceive of even in churches that claim to follow Jesus Christ. Here's the two things I think the apostle would want you to know today, friend. The first thing I think he wants you to know, that I think he intended his audience to know at the day he wrote this letter, is that you should live every minute like it could be your last. Live every single minute like it could be your last. 
If you would do that, how would that shape how you lived? You'd maybe spend less time at the office and more time with the family or turn the TV off and get outside even in the 2,000 degree heat index we're living in right here. You might tell your neighbor you care about them or even go out of your way to help somebody at the store or just send somebody an encouraging note, not for any other reason than just because you've got the light of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life and you want to be a light that shines for Him. All those sinful behaviors that you struggle with today would be distant behind you in your rearview mirror if you would start living every day as though it could be your last. You wouldn't spend one minute in front of pornography or entertaining thoughts of marital of dissolving your marriage or checking out on your kids or drinking too much or any of that stuff if you live like today could be your last and peter's asking his audience how do you know it's not and the question for you today would be the exact same i think the second piece of this is that right now right this very second god is trying to speak to some of you Right now, and the enemy's trying to come at your mind with whatever distractions he has used on you throughout the course of your life. And I want to tell you, church, that it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been or what you intend to do. Even you, right now, God is pursuing you. And that should fill you with a sense of joy and peace, even if you're not a regenerated believer who's been immersed in the Lord Jesus Christ. That the God of the heavens... And the whole universe, who created it all just at the sound of his voice, would be so infatuated and in love with you that he's even pursuing you right now. I'm going to close and I'm going to say a prayer to close and we're going to sing a song. And I hope that this has struck a chord in you and you're renewed with a sense of fear. God's wrath is going to be fiery and furious And that should strike fear into our hearts. Those of us who are living in this world that are human beings that are trying to resist sin, that should make us afraid. If you're out there and you've never been immersed in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're not regenerated, take this opportunity. If there's a need or a sin in your life that you need to confess and you're losing your sanctification or wherever you are, we want to pray with you and encourage you. After I pray and while we sing, take the opportunity. Lord. Thank you for White's Ferry Road and your people here and your word and the opportunity you give us every day to more fully surrender to you. There are a lot of people under the sound of my voice who are on that slippery slope acting as though their destruction is not imminent. Challenge those hearts and strengthen them and lead them to a place of repentance in Jesus' name. God, I ask that you would encourage your church with all of these words and to let us push forward toward the highest calling the calling of being like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.